0: how health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness, to mental health, to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely gonna be some laughing, and hopefully, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life. To live your healthiest hot life. All right, so this week it's all about the F word. No, not that one, get your head out of the gutter. I'm talking about finances, money, cash. You know that thing that makes most of us feel really uncomfortable? I don't think I'm speaking on behalf of myself when I say that money is one of those things that a lot of us struggle with. Well, Tara Marie Murphy is here to help us out. She is 30 years old, has hustled to be in a spot where she's got a full-time job, has investment properties, has a side hustle, and she's very, very passionate about making finance fun, more relatable, and less daunting through her finance workshops. And here at Healthy is Hot, she is giving us all kinds of tips and tricks on how we can make our money work for us and get to the place we wanna be with our financial health and wealth. Well, thank you so much for being here and talking about finances and money and investing, which are three areas that I know personally are very difficult for me to wrap my head around. I definitely get a lot of anxiety and weird icky feelings when I start to think about that. But I think it's so important to get a hold of our financial health. And I really love to use the term financial health because even though you think, yeah, finances, cool awesome. Like, go for it. You don't automatically think of health, but I think the two are incredibly, incredibly intertwined. And I think that's also something that's really important to you. So thank you so much for being on the Healthiest Hot podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You know what? I think it's not a conversation that happens enough in the wellness space, as I have talked to you about and other people. I think people have such a negative connotation or shame or guilt or nervousness or whatever when it comes to money. And money exists every day and everything we do. So it doesn't need to be something that's scary to talk mm-hmm. about or even face like within our own demons. I think it's kind of similar to I was listening to your podcast and um your first one you ever did and you talked about you were really vulnerable talking about food. And that's how I think a lot of people are with money. Like, I think there's like a weird, even for myself, I listened to you and I was resonating so much, like thinking about it before bed, waking up in the morning, thinking about it, whether or not you have like a lot of money and you're comfortable or not, there's huge stressors and it's something that is constantly surrounding us. So I think the conversation about being open about money is just so important in in everybody's life.
0: Where do you think those stressors come from, the guilt, the shame, the anxiety that some people feel when they think about money and finances in general?
1: You know what? I think a lot of it, of course, comes from our past preconceived notions. Like, If I'm just taking from my personal experience, I didn't come from tons of money, so I know I knew right away, like, okay, I have to work for things that I need and blah, blah. So I just got into that mindset right away. And even now I have, I have two rental properties that I own and I still don't feel like I'm ahead. Like I still am like, okay, I'm 30 years old. I have X, Y, Z. Yeah, I can write it all down and it's been successful, but I still based on growing up in like kind of a scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. feel like you have to work and hustle and overtime and overdrive. And even when I was listening to your first podcast, it's so weird, I feel like it's our journey, I don't have this with a lot of people where my journey is so kind of similar, was like, wow, like burnout, like university, just hustling, like I have to do this, I have to do this. I was the same all through university and I kind of had to click my brain a little and say, okay, slow down for a second, it's gonna be okay, you have done well, you're self-sufficient, Just chill out, like relax, start to enjoy life a little more, not be so almost like obsessed with saving, saving, investing, investing, so that it became unhealthy. So I think now I always try and empower and educate so that the conversation about money is a healthy one within ourselves.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's really powerful that you bring up the idea of scarcity. That's something that I can definitely relate to. But I do think, in some regards, it has made me very much a saver and not necessarily an intelligent saver. Like I'm, I'm always fearful of running out. I'm always fearful of going back to zero and not feeling like I have enough or that I am enough. And that is so intertwined with my self-worth. And I think, for a lot of people, it's money and self-worth are like weirdly intertwined. And sometimes it's not the healthiest relationship between the two. And we can be really hard on ourselves about finances, or we look at our finances and it makes us feel worse about ourselves, or we compare what other people have or seem to have. And it can be a little bit of a negative spiral. It's like, As complicated as food relationships are, money relationships are incredibly complicated too, and they have such an impact on our health and especially our mental health.
1: Yeah, there's a lot like when you talk about or when other people talk about food or fitness or whatever, people strive to go to the gym three, four times a week because that's like what makes them feel good. Other people are consumer-based spenders where they go out and they spend because it makes them feel good. And I worked with a client recently, and she had a really big issue going when she went out to eat even she's like, I get an appetizer, an entree four cocktails, I buy my friend a drink, I have dessert and I leave. And then I feel like shit about it, because I want to go out and enjoy myself. But she has no capacity to almost regiment that and stop it. And I always encourage like, there's so many issues when it comes to money, it can be like you're obsessed with saving or you're obsessing over spending or you find yourself worth again and buying clothing or material items. So, um, I think like we have a lot in common with the travel too. And I've done a lot of backpacking and traveling. I've been like 40 plus countries. And yeah, yeah, well, it's expensive. That's where my soul goes. And that's my like soul love. So through those experiences, I've learned like less material, more experience. And that translates also in everything I do, with my coaching and discussions about money to drive people more to get kind of value-based spending than material things. So there's so many different aspects of money where people beat themselves up and it is so relative to fitness and health and, and, you know, eating and all those relationships. You're right. That um, I just don't think people talk about the relationship with money as much as they do about fitness and health and eating.
0: Well, we are here. We are changing that. I, and I love that you just said value-based spending. Like to me, that means experiences. It means memories. It means like moments that you can savor. And yes, some of those moments may cost money, but the long lasting effect of those memories and those experiences will most likely last a lot longer than a brand new pair of shoes but memories really do last a long like a lifetime especially if you can share them with someone so when people come to you as a coach what would you say are their biggest concerns and the biggest areas you kind of help them navigate to be in a better positive mindset
1: i think those issues that that i've already brought up and i think value based spending not only should be in your personal life but a lot of people that i work with or that i've met through this wellness community in toronto have have small businesses or are coaches as well or etc and they they spend to build this great business but it's also not value-based spending for their business like what they're spending the money on is not returning them any value when it comes to your actual the numbers the bottom line so people are spending on making the space beautiful or this beautiful website or you know, showing all this marketing, whatever, and their spend is not aligning with money coming back. So there's so many different avenues when when you talk about value-based spending. So I work with people on that, and I like to just, you know, the abundance mindset is always something. There's a lot of mindset coaches out there, um, but things like, yeah, I send some clients some different meditations that I think would be helpful. I'm not always, like, trying to get everybody to do their gratitude practice, but a lot of people that I work with I had one client who was so misaligned with her job and her career health and her career focus that she wasn't finding the energy of that money to be positive for her. She was almost like, I don't deserve this. I don't want this money. This income doesn't feel good to me because I'm not earning it in a way that resonates like with my heart and my whatever. So a lot of those women who have like their side hustles that really resonate with them but they don't pay them, have their main jobs that they don't really align with, have trouble with money because they're, it's an indirect misalignment, you know? So they don't even realize, like, you're, you're not appreciating that this job is giving you money to live and do these things and therefore have your side hustle. So there's a lot of the mindset tricking is a lot of work. And I don't even know where it came from in me because I, you know, just did what I did and ended up here. And I still have a lot to work on. but. Yeah. I think the mindset is step one. And then after you get kind of under control with your your mindset, when it comes to your relationship with money, step two is like, okay, start making your money work now. You work hard. Now your money should be working for you. Like now, not 10 years from now.
0: What does that mean? Because I'm someone who saves but yeah. I don't know what to do with it beyond putting it in a TFSA. And I know that's awful. I'm 31 and I'm not making my money work for me like you just said. And I want to get to that point. But I, like, if I look back at my education, I've got a lot of cool stuff in my brain. But none of it, right. none of it is about financial literacy and how to save and grow your wealth so that you can truly live the life that you want to live.
1: Right, like long term wealth too, and I have a girlfriend who's a doctor, she's a surgeon, and a girlfriend who's a dent- dentist. They're doctors, and they have were never taught what to do. So you have debt now of two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars from medical school. Now you're going to start to make the big bucks, and it, there's zero financial literacy taught to these people at all and now they're essentially running their own business. So it's really strange that people are so quick to talk about dieting and this and nutrition plans and we all know that kale is good for us but nobody <laughs> totally knows that like your money should be working for you and there are safe investments out there where where you put your money into them like bonds for example. You can put your money in into them. They guarantee you a return like an IOU and you never lose a dollar of your principal that you put in. Like never. There are safe things like that. There are riskier things like equities. There are mutual funds and baskets. Like, I just feel like at the very least, inflation, I always say this, and people are like, oh, but it's just common sense, but we just never really think of it. Inflation in the United States and Canada is one8 to 2.1% yearly. So that's never going to change. That's always going to happen. So that means if you're like my grandmother who has money sitting in an account – and save. You're a saver every year. It's eating itself by at least two percent every year, and everything else in the world is going up by two percent. So there's a four percent gap every single year that just happens. And I know it's like, okay, well now now I feel late. But people who are like, okay, I'm gonna get my job, pay my debt, do everything online. It's like you're missing out on five, ten, fifteen years of of that four percent every year, even though you're doing great saving. Yeah. Your money's not actually doing, it's not working for you. So all of those little things, and that's only like one little aha. Yeah. There are so many more things that I think people can be, it's just scary. A lot of women I work with are like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid to go to an advisor because I don't even know what to ask. I don't know what to say. I don't know what I want. I'm so confused. So I'm just going to wait until I'm 40 and I have to start thinking about retirement, you know?
0: Do you notice? Do you work mostly with women? Like, do you do you notice a difference between the way and I obviously we're generalizing here and there are always exceptions, but are there some some common elements you see when working with women when it comes to money? So it's weird because I work by day
1: in investment banking, and I'm the only female in my office, and I'm the only female on my team. So I work with all men, and they're all I'm the youngest on my team, the only woman, and I'm learning a lot from these men, and they're all you know, the lawyers we use are male and the, the, the everything we use is like, okay, the circle of men who they're comfortable talking about money. They talk about money on their lunch, whatever. And then I do these workshops um, outside of this for women. That's where it started. And now I'm teaching classes and coaching. And it's actually like a 90, 10 women to men that attend these events and classes. And yeah, I always find that the women are like, okay, so can you even tell me what to say when I go to an advisor? Can you tell me what, to, to ask or what to, you have to, like, I almost spend time even coaching them to be comfortable enough to go in and ask because yeah. people are scared and the finance world is so daunting. It's like me going to a personal trainer across CrossFit, and being like, hi, I'm here. I'm a hundred pounds and I want to lift that man, you know? So I find like that kind of learning curve, that's yeah. why I encourage the conversation so that at least be literate and confident enough to go in and say, look, I have this much money. I don't know what to do with it. This is how much I don't need right now. This is how much I need short term. Please help me. You know, like just be vulnerable enough to go and say, please help me because that's their job. It's weird that we pay for naturopathic doctors and facials and hair or whatever, but people won't pay to go what the little fee that it is to go and get an advisor.
0: That's such a great way to look at it, like such a great reframe almost, because you're right, the amount of money I have spent on hair extensions and nail appointments, and those things make me happy, like they bring me joy, it's not just a vanity thing, like it affects the way I feel on the inside, but I have never gone to an advisor, and I think exactly what you said, it's the fear of not being able to show up in that moment And sounding like I know what I'm talking about because I really don't. But what you're suggesting is it's actually okay to go in with questions. Like you don't know what to ask. Maybe you don't understand the terminology because that's what they're there for. And if people do want to maybe find some resources to, you know, spruce up their financial literacy, like what are some areas you suggest? Are there podcasts, books? Um, Because, you know, like for myself, I, I don't think I would be able to go in and be vulnerable enough to be like, hi this is me. This is how much I have. Can you help me? Like, I wish I could. I wish I could just be honest and say that, but I, that would just be a- I know. Isn't that
1: crazy? Like some people go into the nail salon and they have no idea what color they want until they go. And then the lady is like, oh, I suggest this, this, and this, and this. And as women, we're so comfortable or like a haircut, please just do something that looks good. You go in and you're vulnerable enough to, to do that with your appearance and your external, but- people are almost, I don't know if it's like the guilt and shame. Like if I go in there and say, I have this much, is it not enough? Or I I go and I say, this is like, have I not done enough? It's, I feel like it's almost like an embarrassing, again, that negativity that there's not comfort and confidence. in. okay. I've saved. even if it's my cousin, my little cousin took my last class and she is in her early twenties and she doesn't have money to be saving, but even like $20 a week, she's putting in now a mutual fund because over the next 20 years, that $20 is going to turn into thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars with interest. So even, and in these classes, I try and reiterate like the minimum investment for a lot of these mutual funds is a hundred dollars with no subsequent purchase of them after. So you really don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed about, Like, even if you go to an advisor and say, I want to be with you for the long haul. Here's my first $100, literally $100. Where do we get started? Of course, they're going to kind of slow roll it because you have to invest more than $100 and save up more than $100 over time. But there are people out there, like your local banks. I bank with TD. I go see their advisors, even though I work in finance, sometimes just to see, hey, are there products I don't know about? When I teach these classes, I give the woman a list of, Three advisors in the city that I really recommend that I would give my money to that I that I would work with, and all of them say the same thing. I just want people who are committed and really do want to learn and get better, not just like here's today. This you know they want it's a long term plan, like a wealth plan. But if you start the earlier, the better. It's it's going to shave years literally off your work life. You're going to be able to retire early if you have the confidence just to go in and say please make this work for me. Make it beat the inflation at the very least. And you'll be surprised to know that compound interest, interest over years is like hundreds of thousands of dollars over
0: time. So, oh, I mean, this is game changing information. And I think, I think the biggest thing I'm taking away right now is like, A, no matter what you have, if you can save up the hundred dollars, Feel proud of that hundred dollars. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't wish it was higher. Like go in there holding your head high, be proud of that hundred. And if you can't save up more in the future, amazing. But it sounds like the biggest thing we can do for ourselves is just to take that first step forward, to go in, make the appointment speak to an advisor and put down a little bit of money so that you can build the life that you want so that one day you can retire. I mean, hearing you say you can shave years off of your work life, like what an amazing thing. And it's using your hard earned money right now, wherever you are at in life. Yeah,
1: and it's it's not, like, I can't make this shit up. It's like literally historical numbers and data. And I send calculators to sometimes my clients and be like, put in your $100 and calculate. Maybe you could only do $100 a month for the rest of your life. Watch what it will become. Just look, push calculate and just watch what it will become. And people send me back their responses and it's upwards of like hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions. Like I do my own sometimes and I'm like, ooh, what if I did an extra $100 a month like in 10 years when I'm making X amount, I input the number and then I see it go from two point whatever million to two, just like literally, I think it was less than like $4,000 a year turns into a million dollars and 30. And just with the interest interest earned. So I know that it's crazy to say it and people are like, okay, I'm overwhelmed. Like, okay, I'll just start saving so i encourage people once you go and start investing in these mutual funds to set up preauthorized payments so that it's like a bill like you pay 150 bucks for your phone bill every month so just make a $150 payment to whatever mutual fund or comfy or risky whatever's up to you over time and then every month you're investing in yourself and your future and actually shaving years off your retirement like to me when i found this out in school when i was younger I was like, how come everyone out there is being so stupid? Like, (laughs) you know, like I literally was like, if this is true, if this is true, why aren't people doing this? I don't understand. And now I'm learning, you know, going into my 30s and it's because we compare, it's because we're scared, it's because we're not comfortable, but I would love to shift the uncomfort to, okay, yeah, I'm uncomfortable, it's weird, but it's like going to the gym. A person who wants to lose 10 pounds and has a goal should be similar to the person who wants to retire at 50 and has a goal.
0: I feel like there's probably a very personal connection to you about why you're able to relay health and wellness so closely together with finances.
1: Yeah, so it came from um, one of my girlfriends who's a naturopathic doctor, and she does um, many events and attends and speaks at all of these different events. And she said to me, it was about probably two years ago now, uh, Tara, there's no conversation about money in any of these events. On every panel, on every you know discussion, most of the podcasts, etc., are really not focusing on money, but they're charging so much for these services. So she's like, even to see me as a naturopathic doctor, sometimes I feel like ah, oh, it's a lot of money. People save and they still come and see her, but they don't do anything else financially or discuss it. So. I read the other day on CBS. it was like one in four adults have extreme, have had extreme stress every month in in the financial realm. And I think it was 72% of Americans have financial stress, which is, you know, a direct impact on your health. So I started reading books and realizing like, okay, really in the wellness space, there isn't a conversation, especially in Toronto, like we all start to get to know each other around here. And whether people work in finance or not, everything costs money here, you know? It's like the same Mecca as in New York or whatever and no one's talking about it. So I just think it's, um, it just became a, a bright red light to me saying, hey, there's nobody doing this, there's nobody talking about money and I can't even solicit these people. So when I started running these workshops, I work in corporate finance investment banking now, so I can't actually take them on as clients So I feel like they felt comfortable. I'm not selling myself to them to solicit their service. I'm trying to encourage them. Hey, I'm 30. I have two rental properties. I don't know what my brain was thinking, but I've done it. So you can too. Like you don't have to make a lot of money to just start saving and investing that's another huge, I know I'm talking a lot. I'm
0: sorry. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's amazing. I'm sitting here like with my jaw just wide open, just like I'm infatuated. This is, these are conversations we need to have. This is why what you're doing is so important because you are literally creating a safe space to talk about something that makes a lot of people feel very unsafe. And that's really beautiful and powerful. And especially uh, in a city like Toronto, where there is such a hustle and a drive, and everyone is working themselves with their main job, their side hustle, but sometimes it feels like we still can't get ahead. And I think conversations like this will give people the confidence. And the self-belief that like they can work this hard and live the life they want. And, And I love that you mentioned that financial stress can actually cause real stress. And stress is like the number one thing in health. Like even if you're eating healthy and you're going to the gym, if you are experiencing stress, it will affect your blood sugar, your sleep, your mood, your energy. So if we can help reduce that stress, especially in the realm of finance, I mean, why not like why not
1: i know that's what what, like when i started becoming obsessed or like really into finance and reading the books and i just really was like if this is true if this can happen and this you know and i've been watching the markets over the past 10 years and i have been investing and i have been following like the blueprint i laid out for myself and i have been able to fund my way through all these countries and buy all this i have been able to do it without feeling bad or sh- so if i've been able to do it it's kind of a blessing now as i'm getting mm-hmm. older because i i have been going through the ringer doing all these things and strategies so i actually know what works and i actually know that it does work and that this isn't some myth that only rich white met males experience mm-hmm. this is
0: another thing i
1: reiterate a lot of times to people it doesn't matter how much money you make because I have younger people who attend my classes or workshops and they're students or whichever. And they're like, I actually don't have anything and I don't make that much money, but like, I'm still interested to listen. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It matters that you're dedicated to this plan and you start somewhere. Like I told somebody the other day, if I did the calculator for a young kid and they started at 20 and they scraped up 10 bucks a week, loose change from pockets, whatever. And I told them, you can retire seven years early and this is how much money you'll have doing this. Every kid would find 10 bucks somewhere. You know, you find it. Another thing I talk to young people about is um, people who say, I can't, I can't afford it. This is something that people say, young, old, whatever. And I always, I think maybe it was a little embarrassment, but I always, I would, I refuse to say that. I always used to say, I'd rather not do this or I'm saving for this instead. I never said I can't afford it because the reality is, and I know this, if I wanted to afford it, I'd pick up an extra shift when I was bartending or I would not go out to eat and be able to afford it. So people who say I can't afford it, I don't believe you. I don't believe you that you can't afford it because truth is you'd be able to if you wanted to. So it's okay for you to say, no, thank you, not this time. I'm doing this instead or I'm saving for a house instead rather than saying I can't afford it because then literally subconsciously you start to think you can't. Yeah. When, of course you can. Like you could eat eat out two times less this month to afford that thing. Or obviously it's different. Like if you're a single mother of three and you're working your ass off and you're, you know, like then things you can't afford, but for the average single 20 to 35, 20 to 40 something, like, don't tell me you can't afford it because I see you out there drinking, boozing, bottle service, like, you know, you it's okay for you to prioritize. You don't have to, can't, won't, you know, it doesn't happen. Yeah,
0: to be. and I think that comes back to honoring yourself, too, and just realizing the power that language has on ourselves. When you say, I can't, its it's quite a negative thing to say. You're essentially saying, well... I can't because of X, Y, and Z in a way you're almost like putting yourself down because yeah. if you like could inability. in one regard, you would, but you can't. So therefore you're, in, you're lacking something, but saying I'd rather, or I'm saving for something else. It's such a beautiful reframe because instead of focusing on the negative, you're either choosing to prioritize yourself or prioritizing something else that you're saving. That's amazing. I really, really That's love fine. it. fine. Like there's yeah. no guilt
1: about that. Like I'm going to Europe in a month. So like can we get a bottle of wine and you come over instead? Like, there's no shame yep. in saying that. And I find a lot of people, one client I worked with was like, I can never say no. I never say no. I, I have a problem. And, you know, I said, okay, focus on when you're saving and you're investing, that's for you. That's your self-love. If you are in this meditative state and, and you're in this health industry, you're choosing yourself. Yeah, except it's delayed gratification, you know, and that's my secret sauce to success. Like, you don't need this now. And if you do, then get it and don't apologize for it. You know, like, make your decision and own it. But you don't have to do this whole workaround of can't, won't, tiptoeing, whatever. You know, you either can or you don't want to and just own it, whichever one you want. And that's cool. And that's fine. So I think people should be more supportive of these conversations and more supportive when people are like... Can we do this as an alternative option because I'm doing this? Another big one I want to point out that a lot of people do and books everywhere about finance always tell people to do this. And I could not disagree with this tactic. Oh, this sounds
0: time. so juicy. Yes, I, tell me.
1: I don't, I don't even know where it's, but I always see people say, okay, save for something, make a goal, save for something, write it down, tell people. And I'm all about manifestation, abundance, like I'm heavy into, you know, attracting what you believe and having that self-worth and confidence. But I think training people to save for something, write it down, tell everybody, buy it, start over is like the worst mental experience with money you could give people. And that's what they're teaching you. And that's what these books are telling you write it down, save for it. I'm going to Europe in a year. And then these people don't live their lives for a year because they're saving for Europe in a year. And then they have a shitty year because they don't go out to eat with friends. They don't do anything. They're saving for Europe because they wrote it down. They told you about it. And now there's nothing else left. So I heavily disagree with people saying, I'm saving for this car, or I'm saving to move out of my parents, or I'm saving for Europe. And then everything else stops so that they do it that just teaches people to save for something tangible or an experience but one thing spend it and then press reset and that's not long-term planning and that's not wealthy living and that's not a balance at all so it's it's really important i think financially and with everything else in life to balance if you want to save for something awesome but you can also enjoy yourself as well And
0: and find alternatives, like you said, like if you're someone who loves to go out with your, your girlfriends to a restaurant, have lots of amazing, delicious wine, why not host at your house? Everyone do a potluck, still get those amazing wine bottles if you want, but by doing it at your house or your apartment, you will save so much money and you'll still get the quality time with the people that you love. Like there are so many ways where you can still live the experiences that you desire without necessarily, you know, digging deeper than you'd like to in your pockets if that's not in line with your financial plan. Right. Oh, so I mean, it's clear that you are so passionate about this. It's amazing everything that you've accomplished at the age that you're at. It's so inspiring and I can just imagine you in your workshop. Speaking these things. And for a lot of people, like they've probably never seen someone like you talking about all of this in such a candid, honest, raw way. So for you, when did this passion start? And when did you realize like, Oh, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, I think I'm on to something.
1: I think it was a long time ago. As a kid, I used to look at the differences between other families and schools people went to in areas of the city. Like I started noticing that kind of socioeconomic divide and I started looking around and everything fell back to money. Every single thing always was aligned with income and money and, you know, going through all of this black lives matter thing and privilege. Like you can really start to hone into what we have been given versus what we like nature versus nurture. There's a lot of conversation out there right now, especially in our generation. But I think as a, as a child and young kid, I was eyes open to that, really early rather than kind of being blinded and naive to that life so i started right away you know reading i went to school at ryerson at 18 i moved to toronto i didn't know anybody have never even been here and i was just by myself like bushy tail, bright eyes like i made it You know, <laughs> it's just instantaneous and then i think somebody asked me probably 10 years ago now tara if you could do anything and not be paid for it what would you do? And I said, I would encourage people to be better with money. And if all of this stuff that I'm reading, like I said, is the reality, then we can all be wealthy and everybody can, you just have to do A, B, C, D. It's like, here's the blueprint. Why aren't people doing it? So I've kind of spent the rest of my last 10 years, like filling my soul with travel and learning and trying to implement all of these strategies to where I am now. And Now, like I said, I'm old enough to be like, okay, this is what I've done and it has worked. So I'm going to tell 20 year old me's out there kind of what I did and how they can better their financial future. Because to me, I'm obsessed with freedom. Like I, my fight or flight embarrassingly is most often flights. So (laughs) I love having like a car to drive or just anything that is freedom and with money comes freedom. So I think that's where my love of, okay, if I save this, no matter what I'm saving for and investing for, it's for me. And that that alone turned me on enough to over like any pair of shoes I could buy, you know, like giving me freedom later whenever I wanted it was more appealing to me than spending on stuff.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I, I used to spend so much money on stuff. I'm I'm glad that I that has changed. I have found travel the last couple of years, and um, it brings me so much joy and curiosity and excitement for life. Um, and so I'm I'm with you. I used to I used to spend an exorbitant amount of money on things. And right. and I you know every everyone's got their own vice and whatever brings me joy, go for it. But I definitely I definitely second the travel thing. But going back to when you were a student, you did something that a lot of students do, which is take out a student loan. But you did something very different with your student loan than most students do, which is invest it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got, I think when I applied for OSAP the first year they gave me a grant as well. So I needed the OSAP and then the grant, and I was working, I worked two jobs. I worked Nine West because I do love shoes. And I worked at Jack Astor's at the time because I started learning about tips. So I'm like, oh, okay, perfect.
0: Oh the tip world. Oh my gosh, I was a waitress and, when well, and I was in school and it blew my mind because I was like, whoa, this is so much
1: money. Yeah. Another like mind gasm about money. I was like, whoa, this is just mine today. Okay, like I'm going to come back every day. So, I um but I t- I got that grant and I invested it and I invested it in bonds because they are again the safest that when it comes to you get everything back. So I thought worst case scenario, I'll put this maturity date, which is essentially like the term of the IOU. So I said, I'm in school for four years, I'm going to invest this extra grant for four years, it's going to pay me something in the end, and then I'll give it right back. And that's what I did, I invested and I would watch it and it would get interest and I started investing mutual funds. And then I redeemed it after the four years, paid it back to my OSAP and used the money and went on a trip. I think I went to the Caribbean or Bermuda or something. So I was playing with investments starting very young, starting really young. And yeah, it was really fun back then. It was like, okay, what am I doing? And now I know that's the safest bet I could have, you know, had. But I also want to encourage people too. I always A lot of people are so terrified about debt. And especially those who are like doctors, lawyers, whatever. I had a recent client that was a lawyer and she was like, I look at my debt and I feel, I cry. She's like, I cry because I don't even know if I want to be a lawyer now. And I have all this debt and I'm just devastated and suffocated. And I bought my first condo at 24 years old and I still owed, I think almost $30,000 in student debt. And everybody out there, advisors, family, friends, everybody was like, you have to pay off your student debt first and then you can buy a house and then you could whatever and i said okay well no thank you but no and had i not been a had i paid my student debt like everybody told me like here's your checklist of how to live your life i wouldn't have bought that home and i sold that place i think a year and a half later it made a hundred thousand dollars so hundred over thirty yeah <laughs> myself a year of debt you know like had i listened to everybody else and their this is what you should do in life so my point is not not that that was my great whatever win but my point is that debt is not black and white you don't have to work pay your debt get married have a wedding like whatever and yeah. then start to purchase things and invest you can actually do both at the same time and you can carry debt while you're investing or buying property or just play with it like people get so Consumed with, they have to do this step by step in in what they've read or been told, and that's not the case. Like I think I came out ahead so many more times because I even still have student debt, and now I have bought in two more places. And every time the mortgage company is like, "Do you want to pay the rest of your student debt?" I'm like, "No, I'll just keep like no, I'll just keep paying it." Yeah, I'll pay it, but you know, like I wouldn't have been able to buy the properties if I took took that thirty thousand and put it. Yeah. My student loan. So I just want to encourage people, like, hey, the debt is not scary. Look at it as like, okay, it's it is baggage, but it's like the stuff that's in the bottom of your purse. Like you don't have to take it all out or clean it yes. everything.
0: Yo, your analogies kill me because like they're so relatable. Like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that you took chances and are out here doing it. And what amazes me is that you have a full-time job. You have rental properties. Like you don't need to be doing these master classes or these coaching sessions. But yet here you are helping to start conversations and to help women and some men as well to give them the confidence so that they can have the life that they want, especially when it comes to financial health and financial wealth. Where does that come from? Because you could be fine just with your day job and your stuff, but yet, but yet here you are.
1: Like I, yeah, what, Thank you for saying that because sometimes I am like – I created a website this year, and in my head I'm like, why did I do that? Like, Why am I literally giving myself a fourth – fifth, sixth job. Like, what am I up to doing this? I am exhausted. Why? But I just feel like if one thing I say resonates with even one person out there and changes something, turns on some light bulb and helps them when they're young and when they are uncomfortable or scared or like feeling suffocated with finances, I have it in my brain. So it's selfish of me to keep it here is is how I feel. And I think it's, it comes I don't know where it it also might come from that scarcity mindset where it's like I always have to keep moving yeah but yeah I'm burnt out like pretty often and I travel pretty often so I can kind of overcompensate in both ways but thank you for saying that because sometimes I'm like why am I what why am I doing like what am I up to why am I doing these classes or why am I but the, the truth is, yeah, I have it in my brain. So I think if it's here, like if I had the bandwidth, I would write a book so that here it is once. So that I, can-
0: <laughs> I have a feeling you would miss talking about it though, because you light up when you talk about this. And I'm going to need to come to one of your master classes because I have a lot to learn. And um, I, I've been enjoying this so much. And I feel like I've gotten so much out of it. And there's, Such a strong connection between health and financial wealth. Like we've talked a bit about what some of those negative consequences are, the stress that comes with it, the baggage, the heaviness, the uncertainty. But what do you think the positive ripple effects of having a a financial plan and being able to work towards financial wealth long term is?
1: You know what the best part is, is and also why I enjoy doing these classes, is because when I ask people what their financial goals are, it really challenges people. Even my mother, she is getting a new advisor because she's coming close to retirement, and I was on all the advisor calls with her because she feels uncomfortable, and it forces her and people to really sit down and say, okay, what are my priorities in my life? What do I value? What do I actually want? And again, like I'm big on manifestation and self love and gratitude and all these things. And I think they're so aligned. And as much as we don't talk about money, we don't talk about the alignment that it comes right hand in hand with spirituality and abundance and meditating and manifestation. And once you start to actually say, okay, what are my financial goals? You start to ask yourself, what are my life goals? What are my health goals? What are my X, Y, Z goals? And how can I get there? So you work backwards and it's really nice to start to see people. I'm type A like you. So the planning helps me anyway, (laughs) but it encourages people to kind of sit back and say what actually matters to me. And I think that's really powerful, especially young people because it's always changing, you know, COVID happened, this happened, whatever. So I think it's important for people to take that step back. And it all to me comes down to It's like almost selfish because give yourself, give back to yourself. If anything, you're saving and investing and buying these properties because like the first condo I bought, that's my retirement. That's my retirement. I'm just leaving it there, going to rent it out. And now I can sleep at night knowing no matter what happens, job security, I have secured myself retirement because you never know what's going to happen. And all of that stuff, someone with anxiety, like I have pretty bad anxiety when it comes to things outside of my control and nobody off the street would ever know that meeting Mm. me, but all of the planning and all of the kind of financial movements going forward and prioritizing really helps me put myself at ease because I don't have to give myself extra stress or worry or fear or whichever, even though it's still, you know, never seems like enough. Um, I think the big takeaway for me and the positivity is that you're giving yourself a gift in the freedom and the energy, and that your future you is going to thank your now you in, in the best way possible.
0: You're saying yes to yourself in the most pure way possible. Yeah. By setting yourself up for your future. Also, thank you for sharing your struggle with anxiety. I can feel you on that. And especially when you're like, no one would ever guess it, but that's the thing with mental health. Right. It's, it's, you know, that's why we should never make assumptions about people when it comes to their mental health and instead just be open and be supportive of them. Um, I'm glad that planning helps you stay on top of your anxiety, but what are some other health and wellness? Uh, tools in your toolbox that help with that because I think anxiety is something that a lot of people are feeling right now um, even if they've never felt it before with everything going on in the world.
1: Yeah I try to stay and I think maybe this comes from a lot of I spent a lot of time in Asia in that region when I did a lot of my traveling and that's when I kind of understood okay this meditating helps me in this way and before bed I don't sleep very easy like I remember you talking about how before bed you're thinking I'm thinking about what did I spend what have I saved what what's my to-do list blah 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 for me my anxiety comes from I have a million folders in my brain I feel like like 7,000 file folders in here and if there's papers out I, I don't sleep until they're back in the folders and that's like based purely on my anxiety that I am Uh, have every day and I was actually prescribed Ativan and given Ativan and I was taking it for a little bit and all of a sudden every time I felt minor stress I would want an Ativan and I noticed like this is not healthy this is not I'm not feeling the highs or the lows I'm just on this cloud that doesn't exist so I kind of had to snap myself out of it and and what helps me is I just stay really organized like notes on my phone is like even if it's honest to God, shower, wash your hair today. I put it on like Wednesday, wash your hair on Wednesday, because it makes me feel like my folders are in line and I don't have to do the extra work to remember. And then I can maybe sleep tonight, you know? So I think it's a work in progress all the time, but as I get older, I have learned my triggers. I have learned kind of that the organization, the management of all of this stuff really helps me. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, I'm open and honest with people about that this is an issue, but sometimes I run into problems and they would never know I have anxiety, so they don't know that my attitude right now or my kind of standoffish whatever, like I get perceived maybe sometimes as a bit bit of a bitch maybe or like, you know, somebody who um, kind of is unapproachable or things like that and it's just anxiety. But yeah. nobody would know that unless they live in my brain. So I had to figure through <laughs> that a little.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that could be tough sometimes. But I mean, look, not, I, what I'm learning in life is not everyone in life is going to like you. And that is okay. Yeah. Because the yeah. good people, you know, the people you're supposed to be in line with and connect with, those people will stand by with you, even if you might appear to be bitchy. But really, it's something completely different going on.
1: Yeah, I think that's just like, it's like anybody's stress, you have no idea what's going on in somebody's brain. And that, again, brings it back to financial stress. Like sometimes you have no idea if somebody got this bill or this eviction notice or are supporting family members or are dealing with all of this financial burden. So again, it's just one less thing you have to worry about if you start to kind of be and another thing I talk about with money when it comes to stress and anxiety, like be honest with yourself. Because that's something with money that people don't do. They're not honest with themselves about their spending areas of overspending or their debt or they kind of close their eyes, cover their eyes and deal with it later. And that's fine to a certain extent. But in reality, when you're not confronting your own honest relationship with money and anxiety and stress, then it's not pure, right? It's not, you're not going to come anywhere from it because you're not even honest with yourself, much less other people. So I think even with my anxiety, I'm honest with myself that, okay, you're anxious right now, calm down, take a minute and regroup and everything will be fine.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Taking a minute is so important. Well, I think we should all take a minute, especially after this episode to maybe look and start thinking at what our financial goals are and start to examine what our relationship, our honest relationship with money is and really kind of peeling back the layers and getting uh, getting a little bit more self-aware. And then we can start going towards those financial goals and seeing how they bleed into all the different areas of our life, from health to the way we show up in our jobs to the way we are around friends and family. So many good little takeaways. So Tara, where can people find more? And do you have anything coming up that you'd love to share?
1: So I know this is where I should say, I have classes this and this day, but I, I don't because I just did one and now you know that I'm moving. So, but if I do have classes upcoming, I usually do post everything mostly on Instagram. It's Tara Marie Murphy. And my website is TaraMarieMurphy.com. So they're one and the same. Um, website is a work in progress because it's another 600th job. Looked I- at
0: it. It looks great. Your website is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Look, life fun. is a work in progress. We have to be proud of where we are.
1: Yeah, I'm okay. I'm proud of my website. So you could visit it and (laughs) find my classes on Instagram. Um, I'm not apologizing for my work in progress. Um, Yeah, that's it. I just I you can anybody can reach out. People send me questions all the time about, hey, I just what do you think about Well Simple? Or what do you think about this? Or what? And I'm happy to answer them. Because really, like you said, this is like kind of my soul work, you know, and my passion project. And it's not to make money off of these people. So yeah, anybody feel free anytime to ask me about my journey or financial questions and I will be as honest as possible. You know, whether people like the answers or not, they're going to be my (laughs) honest answers.
0: I mean, look, if this chat says anything it's that you are real and you say it like it is and your heart is in a good place and like that's what we need right now especially when it comes to money so before we end it off we always end it off the same way what does "healthiest hot mean to you
1: i just think it, it comes down to me like hot and and sexy and all these things it's all your self-worth and your confidence and when you feel better on the inside whether it is financially or you know, wellness or career health or any of those things, you automatically exude more confidence and feel hotter and feel better. So I think you're healthy is hot. It's just feel good. And like I said before, whatever your circumstances are, own them and, you know, no apologizing for them and just kind of do you because there's only one of you and just be proud of yourself. It's the same with money and everything else. Like stop comparing to other people and just be proud of your journey and where you are. And that's what's hot about people, you know?
0: I mean, I think that's fucking hot. I thank you so much. This was amazing. I think we might have to do like a part two and three and four and five.
1: Anytime. And good luck with your move because Lord knows Canada Day weekend. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's gonna be rough, but I got this, I got this. And just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wilde. If you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. See you next week.